Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Welcome to Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies may have inspired it. And today we're actually going to be looking at two movies, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, First, right at the top of the show, I want to remind you all to please subscribe on whatever podcast app you listen to podcasts on. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're now on Stitcher. We're now on TuneIn Radio, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're pretty much everywhere now at this point, and if there is a uh, podcast app that you'd like to be listening to us on, let us know so that way we can make sure we get added to it as well. Also, make sure to rate and review us on iTunes and send us some feedback. We want to know what you're thinking about the show, we want to know that you're enjoying it, we want to know what we could do different. And uh, also make sure to join our Facebook community group. It's called Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. And on there, we continue the conversation. You can let us know what puzzle pieces you liked us talking about, which ones you think maybe we missed, and just let us know what you think about these movies we're talking about. Um, We definitely want to keep that conversation going. And so far, it's been a lot of fun having that as a supplement to the show. So definitely join the group. Come get involved. And with that said, today we are doing two movies, which is a first for this show, um, but it was really cool to do. I'm joined by uh, previous co-host Chris Cranock, and we are talking about First Reformed and You Were Never Really Here. Um, These are pretty political films, so be warned, we get political, and also they deal with religion We do get into religion quite a bit, so you are warned. (laughs) So make sure you know that going in. So the two movies that we're going to be talking about, uh, the first one is First Reformed from writer-director Paul Schrader. It stars Ethan Hawke as a minister who goes into a downward spiral from the pressure of following God's word when the church has other political motivations. Uh, And then the other one is You Were Never Really Here. Uh, for writer-director Lynn Ramsey. It stars Joaquin Phoenix as a violent man trying to rescue a young girl from a violent world, and it focuses on the effects that violence and a life of violence has had on him. Uh, These are both very heavy movies, and they're both great movies, two of the best movies I've seen this year so far. Um, And as you'll hear, there is one shared puzzle piece that we start the conversation on because these are very similar movies in a lot of ways. And it made for a really great conversation and a unique episode of Piecing It Together. And let's get into it. All right, so we're doing a 
real different episode this time. Uh, we're going to be doing two movies at the same time. We'll get into why here in a second. But uh, first of all, my my guest again is Chris Cranock. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing very well, thank you. Right on. I see you just put the uh, headphones on, but you know what? I don't I don't even bother with them. No? It's cool. You okay. can wear them. You can not wear them. It's okay. You know, either one. I don't, couldn't remember if we yeah. needed them or not. Okay. <laughs> you know, I think technically most podcasts probably do wear headphones. I'm not quite sure, but I'm like, eh. I don't need them. Yeah, I don't need them. Mm. We're we're looking at each other right now. Yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah. You know, I can hear you very well. It's fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we're we're doing two movies here, um, and that's because there's uh, a lot of themes running between them, and a lot that connects the two movies, and they just both came out, so it just seemed like a good idea to combine them. Uh, the two movies are First Reformed and You Were Never Really Here. Um, you Were Never Really Here came out a couple months ago, which normally is a little longer than I would usually do for an episode of this show. Mm. But it's a movie. It's one of the better movies this year so far and a movie I just really wanted to cover. And then especially after First Reformed came out and it seemed like such a great uh, double header here, I just thought we might as well still do it. And yeah, it's, worth, it's it. worth mentioning because yeah. You Were Never Really Here is a really unique film. And worth talking about. So I'm happy we get a chance to go kind of go back and talk about it. Absolutely. You know, when I first saw it, like it didn't really, it's definitely a grower, you know, so it kind of makes sense too that we took a little while to get to it because I don't think I really appreciated it quite as much when I first got out of the theater as I did weeks later as it like sat with me and all that. Yeah, you know? it's definitely a sleeper. Yeah. <laughs> like I enjoyed it, you know, like almost, you know, as... More like an in an academic sense, like I really, as I watched it, I was like, oh, I could, you know, I really enjoy what they're doing. I enjoy, you know, but then what it really was saying, or what I think it was saying, I should say, uh, yeah, it kind of hit me later on uh, the kind of significance that I think it had. Because it's, it's a little movie that they kind of put out with no advertising, that you know, that, not that much, and sure. right before the cusp of summer, so it's going to be competing with all these other big movies. So yeah, it's kind of got a little diamond in the rough that was going to get lost in the shuffle. Yeah, so, exactly. You no, know, it's it's a really cool movie to talk about. Definitely. So, uh, you know, I think, that, like I said, this episode is going to be a little different than usual because we're talking two movies. We're going to start off with um, the the main puzzle piece that both of these movies definitely share uh, for various different reasons. So I think the beginning of our conversation here is going to be mostly about that puzzle piece. Um, and then we will get on to more puzzle pieces. Uh, first, we'll do First Reformed, and then You Were Never Really Here. Um but yeah, I mean, just to kick this thing off, uh, the first and most obvious and <laughs> definitive puzzle piece here is Taxi Driver. Yeah, this uh, I would I would go as far to say that both of these movies are basically revisiting the subject matter of the Taxi Driver um, uh, purposefully. You know, it's not one yeah. of those things where the, okay, this is they're similar. I think that they are direct inspirations for it, and yeah. I think it really shows how. Um, important taxi driver has gone on in, in like from hindsight, we can see the kind of significance it has and how it's grown in stature, not only in cinema, but just as a cultural comment. Sure. And that the themes buried in that movie in the seventies are now equally, equally relevant or even more so, uh, and that they needed to be looked at again. Uh, both films do that actually. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. And you know, an interesting thing, you know, personally for me about taxi driver, um, as you know, we've talked about this before. Uh, when I make a list of my top 20 favorite movies of all time, mm -hmm. they're mostly 90s on up. <laughs> I, I, I'm definitely a new movie guy. Yeah. Taxi Driver is probably my favorite of that era. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, yeah, it's I, one I, of the best. I really love that movie. And I, I always have. I've only seen it like maybe twice mm -hmm. or something, maybe three times. 
Um, but yeah, that's one that's always stuck with me. It always, it didn't have, um, there was no barrier of entry for me. It was just, mm -hmm. this is exactly the kind of movie I like, even though, you know, it's, it's a classic, you know, it's an older sure. movie. And sure. Everything. Well, what's funny about that is yeah, I have, a, I have a little bit of an interesting story about Taxi Driver, and I'll keep it as, as short as possible. I have a really unique uh, past with it. So I've always been into movies, old movies, my whole life, watching sure. things that are way be, you know, way before my time. And Taxi Driver is like one of those first things you discover. You know what I mean? I bought it at a Target. You know, yeah. I bought it. it was just this, and so, yeah, it was like in the classic section. And you watch it, and you're, when you're a kid, you can't get over how cool it is. Right? It's so right, cool. Right. There's so much violence and blood and hookers and how great. Uh, it went so far that during one summer I actually shaved my hair into a mohawk like Travis Bickle because <laughs> I thought it was just the coolest thing going. Then I went back and I watched it again and I watched it again and I've seen it a handful of times in my life now. Maybe maybe teetering on six, seven, eight, nine kind mm -hmm. of times. And just recently, like 40 year anniversary was like I don't know, a year or two ago and I went to go see it in theaters when they re-released it and it was a frightening, deeply disturbing experience. I realized how <laughs> horrifying and disturbing the movie is yeah and that it blows my mind that a movie that bizarre and creepy is really considered a mainstream classic right exactly. you know, it's shocking to be like wow and it, it really did affect me in a really deep way that had i had seen it 10 times before or whatever and had never really sunk in really what it was about yeah exactly because <clears throat> they're they're and that's such a good point because nowadays like we're talking about all these new movies these weird movies and mm -hmm. stuff like that that audiences just do not connect with and yet they're willing to connect with a movie like this uh, yeah they love it yeah <laughs> it's an interesting thing i don't know what that is i i have to guess it's de niro yeah they have the it, scorsese de niro vibe yeah maybe. and i have to guess that's the reason why they're willing to take that journey into something so dark and fucked up um, yeah, I can only think, I mean, this is not to sound like overly, you know, elitist or anything, but my guess is that they don't actually get it <laughs> because, <laughs> <That's true too. laughs> because if they get it, it's really not a movie that's like warm and fuzzy. Right. It's awful and terrifying. It's a brilliant masterpiece, but what it's, I mean, it's about isolation, yeah. extreme loneliness, mental illness, uh, just depravity and violence. Uh, it does have this exclusionary uh, elitist worldview. The Travis Bickle character sees himself as above the filth and all of those things. Right. And when you go back and you really watch it and you see how mentally ill he is and what an unflinching look it is at that type of character, it is hard to believe that it has a large audience. So, I mean, I, maybe it's just it's pure quality supersedes that you know it's just right. such a great version of it it's such a great film that maybe people just connect to it but it's not like the godfather where you can watch criminals and almost love them yeah you, know, you watch <laughs> travis bickle and you're like this guy is the guy that's going to shoot it's up the movie mess. theater down the street you know there these we're living in that era right now with these lone wolves yeah and uh i mean i don't i it's a it's just amazing to me that it transcends our fear yeah because it's that it is that creepy so um going off of that i mean i think we'll we'll talk about uh how taxi driver affects a movie like first reformed first um okay. of course it coming from the same screenwriter yep. uh paul schrader it's um i mean it's very obvious right up front that yeah. he is revisiting this territory and revisiting this kind of a character right yeah that's beautiful to me because very rarely do we get to see that that a filmmaker 
goes back and now of course he's in the director's chair this yeah. time um but he's revisiting I and mean, if you look back at his, his 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 whole career the thing that runs through it all is the theme of you know a man alone in a room that's kind of the thing that he revisits again and again um and he always does it in a, in a unique great you know excellent way but isolation is such a major aspect of it um and it's just nice it's it's nice because he was able to put a new spin on this theme while also reminding us of how eternal the themes are right this is like i said just a couple minutes ago this is like the same it has the same potency then as it does now if not more so so he must my guess is that he saw the world around him and was like i'm still feeling the way i was feeling in 1974. yeah i saw i I watched an interview with him right after i left the theater pretty much and yeah he's pretty negative about the world (laughs) as it is and i'd say rightfully so um the world has got quite a few problems yeah and uh you know it's it's great that we have you know, someone like this writing something like this that's really uh, reflecting, you know, the problems in this world. Yeah, and, you know, it's funny. It's a message film. You yeah. know, there's a lot of things that people talk about, like, you know, movies being art house movies or art films, and that's such a loose term. Sure. But what makes it an art film for me is that whether it's, the film is more concerned with what it's saying than what it's doing, or you mm-hmm. know what I mean? And that's, again, that's all open to interpretation and kind of a loose definition. But like, you know, he had the kind of the balls to be like, I'm going to make a movie about the things I'm thinking or the things I want to make a comment on. And the story is engrossing and fascinating, but almost secondary to the moral or the theme or the point of the, of the overall story. And uh, that was, it's funny, when I first saw it, I thought, Maybe that's what makes the first reformed inferior to to taxi driver mm-hmm. that it's more uh relevant and like it's it's almost too timely that right, maybe on the nose kind of right yeah, yeah, but then I thought, but but then I thought. Well, what if I saw Taxi Driver in 1975? Exactly, exactly. Maybe it was as visceral of a comment on those moments, that time, uh, that it, then first then first reformed. Well, pardon me, first reformed is sure uh, today. So I had to almost kind of go against my own criticism. Right. Yeah. It is. It is a. And it's a fine line to to ride when you're trying to comment on the exact times now, mm-hmm. because I I actually. I kind of had the opposite reaction that you had there because to me, um, I really loved seeing um, seeing the actual times we're going through, mm-hmm. seeing the environmental issues and and uh, the big money and all that stuff, uh, big corporations and their uh, money being donated with the church and all right, that. Sure, yeah. And I mean, that's all stuff that you know, as I'm kind of an activist, I'm like a lazy activist, but I'm an activist, you know? Um, a activist. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. And uh, that, that's something that, you know, affects me and bothers me with the world yeah, around me. Sure. And so to see that, you know, on screen and to see a character who is, you know, so harshly affected by it, mm-hmm. it it's, I actually do like that. I, I like seeing that, the, the timely message of it. Yeah, and that, and that kind of leads into the major divergence between Taxi Driver and First Reformed, like maybe where Paul Schrader has grown or you know, or, or just at least changed in some way, is that the character played by Ethan Hawke in a masterful performance, oh maybe God, the yeah. best Ethan Hawke performance. And he's great. Yeah. He has a career full of great performances, but this Definitely. may be the one that was the best in my eyes anyway. Uh that that we learn more about that character's history than we do Travis Bickle. With Travis Bickle, we learn that he's a veteran. Yeah. And that's about it. We yeah. learn that he and he's kind of presented as an absolute that he's above that he feels above this world. And the and the only major difference I saw because the story even kind of pans out 
in the same structure. I mean, yeah. it almost plays like a play-by-play re- re- revisiting of Taxi Driver. But the major difference is the Ethan Hawke character, we sympathize with more. We sympathize with more. Mm-hmm. We um, understand him more. And he also feels like he's underneath the, you know, the character. He's a priest, if we haven't mentioned that. And he is trying to reconcile God's silence in a way against right. these horrific things and what what responsibility does do uh, does humankind have in the face of all these things but travis bickle is almost like the god of that world he doesn't have a character that he's confused by it's just him against the world and in this newer film it's like god is this conduit between the priest character and these problems and he's trying to pass these problems through this filter to better understand them and that's a new element that the previous film didn't have yeah yeah absolutely it it uh yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a more fleshed out character, and it it I, I think um, I think that's necessary in this particular case because of the added elements that are brought in in the story with mm-hmm. the, with the stuff with the mega church and right. the stuff with the uh, corporations and the environmental stuff, and so it's like I think the character needs to be a, a little bit more fleshed out in order to carry all of that rather than just being this total lone wolf, right? Um, yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah, definitely more sympathetic. And we and it may be a reflection of the time we're in that I do think we're maybe more sensitive as an audience to movies and comments and political things. I mean, we do have a sensitivity about us to, in this today's world. So I think maybe uh, no one can handle a real Travis Bickle today. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, he would not be as popular of a character, I think, if he came out today. Well, that that I think is a great transition into talking about Taxi Driver as an influence on uh, You Were Never Really Here. Yeah. Because even uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, who is absolutely brutal, mm-hmm. is also so caring, you know, and it's <laughs> and like... And likable. Yeah, and likable in a, in a weird, you know, weird dude way. Yeah. yeah absolutely. And, and that is a definite way that it sets itself apart from Taxi Driver, while also clearly being inspired by. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, again, with You Were Never Really Here... I mean, the the elements of that are between that film and Taxi Driver are nearly identical. You have you have a veteran mm-hmm. who is disturbed mentally as a result of his service. Yep. Um, he basically has a mission to save a young blonde girl <laughs> out of prostitution. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's really verbatim that story. Uh, the only thing missing is like a taxi. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but they but what's amazing about this and this was something that really hit me hard when I left is like I couldn't believe that there was a movie that had the same components of another movie and yet I felt it really said something unique. Right. It, it was its own film. Yeah. Even though it borrowed all these things that were not you know like I said it was not by accident. This must have been something deliberate of like let's kind of re envision this same setup yeah. and see what we can say with it. And that's just a that's a testament to Taxi Driver I think that this movie. Uh, can be stretched a million different ways and it, it could say something different through different eyes. Yeah, you know? absolutely. D- different, uh, different filmmakers, different storytellers, different actors. Um, but a general similar idea just mm-hmm. changed and uh, made into something new and fresh right. and, and exciting. Um, and it's, it's an interesting movie with the way that it deals with, uh, uh, with his character and with, with the effects of violence on him. Yeah, uh, you know, which is another way in that it's different, but at the same time, we're still within that same framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie being a lot more about the effects of violence on him, on just people in general. Yeah, I think there's more of a um, kind of an empathy 
or a comment on what violence can do. Yes. To where in Taxi Driver in particular, it's much more hidden. Yeah, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but you've had 40 years to yeah. see the movie, so I'm um, spoiler yeah, alert. At this point, spoilers, <laughs> spoilers away. Rosebud's the sled. Let's get over yeah. it. No, anyway, so um, no, the thing is, is it, when you know Travis Bickle uh, kills all those pimps in the end, and then it somehow gets to him, you know, driving the taxi and seeing, you know, Sybil Shepherd, and and uh, the parents are writing him a note of thanks for saving his do- their daughter. Yeah, and and you get the feeling this is a fantasy. This is his own self uh, congratulatory fantasy uh, as he's dying he sees himself as a hero yeah. and to where i think with joaquin phoenix's character i think he does not see himself as a hero i think he's right. just compelled to save this person he's constantly suicidal yeah. um which i think they do in a very elegant and disturbing way yeah. visually uh, in a lot of ways but yeah he's not again travis pickle is almost insufferable when you really look at him under a microscope yeah uh because he's so isolated and so withdrawn these other characters are not that way i mean joaquin phoenix has a lot of um saving grace about him which is dangerous actually because i think i start thinking to myself not to get overly deep not to in- inception this but i think to myself what is a more important film or what is a bet what what film is more um intelligent uh, as a comment, is it, the, is it the film that shows us a nicer character that we have an easier time understanding, right. but then we kind of almost forgive, quote unquote, his horrific violence in a kind of a superficial way of, oh, well, he's saving a girl so he can kill people with a hammer right. and I care. I, okay. He's a good guy at heart. Or do we, is there a stronger, more philosophical comment on the character that is brutal and is not someone we admire and we just see them in stark terms? Then it's up to us to make the decision of, oh, well, what he did was bad. Yeah, uh, I think it's a really good question. I, I It's hard to answer, really. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I know. don't know. I really don't. Yeah, I mean, my first instinct is to say that it's a little more important to have a character uh, like Joaquin Phoenix's character that, uh, you know, you can see you could see a path forward for, you know what I mean? Whereas Travis Bickle, um, there's, you know, well, it becomes more of a cautionary tale then. Yeah. Taxi driver isn't, there is no path forward for Travis. Right. But does that mean that there's no trap, no, no, uh, path forward for us, the viewer. Right. As opposed to us going, Oh, well, Joaquin Phoenix, you know, he'll be all right. (laughs) (laughs) Does that pat us on the shoulder too much and comfort us too much in the face of this? And again, I'm not, I have no idea. I really don't know. I think my, my hunch opposite Mm -hmm. to yours is that really the more intelligent philosophical comment would be a taxi driver that doesn't let us, that doesn't let us off the hook. Mm-hmm. And not that, I mean, again, it's a little exaggerated that you were never really here. Let us off the hook. Right. It's a very dark, somber movie and yeah, has a sure. lot of intense things to say. But yeah, it's just worth discussing, I think. Yeah. On the other uh, end of the spectrum, I think uh, Ethan Hawke's Priest is pretty much done for. <laughs> yeah. Point. Yeah, it's a pretty dark ending. No matter how, it's obviously an open-ended uh, ending. Even, mm-hmm. uh, even Paul Schrader said that he doesn't exactly know uh, how it ends, mm-hmm. uh, even though he wrote it and directed it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I think no matter how you read it, it's... Um, Bleak. Yeah, it's bleak, <laughs> no matter what. Yeah, that's very something that definitely is something that Taxi Driver and First Reformed have in common, is that there's not a lot of light at the end of the tunnel for mm-hmm. either character. And I actually, again, I don't want to, I won't ruin 
first performed because it's a new movie you should go out and see but um there's actually similarities in my opinion to the ending of both films sure in terms of like what's really going on you know is is it is it a literal thing is it a subjective thing is it a fantasy is it a dream is it not there's so much open for the person to experience but to me i drew i drew connections between the two films i can't i don't want to say any more but yeah uh, there's definitely connections there don't don't uh shy away too much from spoilers though because i always think of this show as something that people uh listen to as uh an addition like after they watch the film okay um well then in that case in that case (laughs) well i mean basically i think that ethan hawk's fantasizing yeah i think that he drinks the drano yeah i think he's dead yeah and i think he fantasizes about making out with what's her face yeah and uh but that even that is more um in inverted or mm-hmm. that's more internal than the taxi driver ending to where it's like he wants to be recognized by the family and you know he you know he talks to the girl at the end but really it's that letter from the parents that's like you're a hero and he's in the newspaper and he's getting all this recognition <laughs> so where i think it's much more intimate and personal that ethan hawk just has that passionate personal connection with somebody sure. it's a fantasy but it's much more personal than travis bickle who wants who wants uh to be uh like lauded as a hero sure sure yeah. absolutely so uh you know i think with that i think that's a good uh point to move on to further puzzle pieces for for these movies and like i said we'll probably start here uh with first reformed uh which i know you said you have quite a few uh puzzle pieces for so i think i'll let you go first with your next uh puzzle piece for first reformed okay well a lot of these puzzle pieces i have uh paul schrader to thank for because he really what's interesting about paul is that he was a a film critic before he was a filmmaker and he wrote extensively about his influences and he's still one of the few directors especially like art house directors that will discuss his work yeah you know not you know everyone's really kind of like you know hey watch the movie and see what you think and i I agree with that mentality i don't want to discuss my projects i want people to go see them and feel what they feel but i really love that we get this weird glimpse of what paul thinks about his own work Mm. so the first puzzle piece the big thing for me is an ingmar bergman film called winter light uh, and this is something that I'm not sure if Paul personally has said, but a lot of comparisons have been drawn. Winter Light is actually about a, a uh, suicidal priest mm. um, who is suffering with the silence of God in the face of nuclear war, as opposed to uh, uh, global warming, climate change. You know, I mean, it's it's a it's a crisis uh, facing the planet, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Where's God in this?" And I think that's where the two films slightly diverge is where the priest in Bergman's film is kind of uh, hopeless in that there's a God um, and that God should take on more responsibility. I think the the Ethan Hawke character is saying it's our responsibility and God is 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 a bystander in this. And will he forgive us yeah. for destroying it? So it's my, you know, so there is there are a lot of differences, but the premise is very similar. Yeah, I, I like that about the character, too. Um, you know, obviously, I'm not a religious person, um, mm-hmm. but I like that his faith you know, doesn't really waver. It's mm. more just his faith in the, the church and the way that the church does things. But in in God and, you know, religion and all that, he absolutely is still, uh, you know, a man of God, you know? Yeah, the movie really isn't about his faith. Right. Which is interesting. You know, what I didn't know much about the film purposefully. I wanted to just go and see it. Sure. And uh, I thought, oh, this is going to be like a crisis of faith film. And I was pleasantly surprised that it wasn't. Yeah. That really his faith is what drove him to the end of the film is like you know is uh, am i ever going to be forgiven yeah and i think that's such a you know or do we know the mind of god that was a phrase that was repeated yeah. twice in the film you know, can we know the mind of god 
And uh, yeah, so at the, on, on those terms, they're, they are saying, well, there is a God, but we just can't understand it. Yeah. So now it's up to us. You know, as if I were to make that film, I'd be like, there is no God. Why he's silent is because it, no one's, nothing's there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the comment maybe I would have made. But um, what Bergman was maybe making, I sure. think a big part of that's it. it's a part of a trilogy uh, through a glass darkly, winter light, and then the silence. And of course, the silence is the silence of God. Right. The major theme is, hey, maybe there is no one listening. Maybe right. that's possible why it's silent. So this film definitely diverged in that sense. Like there is a God, he's listening, but we just don't know what he thinks of it. And maybe we should take care of our planet. Yeah. Wouldn't be a bad idea. Wouldn't be a bad idea at all, right? <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's yeah, very different, but also very very similar. I like that that that's um that's a movie that deals with faith, uh, with religion, with God, but also with with environmentalism. Yeah, and yeah. So I mean, clearly, yeah, that sounds like a really spot on mm -hmm. uh, puzzle piece there. Yeah, it's great. And real, before we move on, real quickly, if mm -hmm. you haven't seen Winter Light, go see Winter Light. Yeah. And it's actually the one film that Igmar Bergman said was the film that he got everything he wanted, exactly what he envisioned he'd be able to achieve. Oh, wow. Uh, he and his cinematographer sat in a church all day long and watched how the light moved through the room so they could mimic it for the film. So it's a very special, beautiful film, very challenging, very bleak. Yeah. Heads up, have a glass of wine, but check it out. Okay. Well, speaking of bleak, speaking of uh, environmentalism, speaking of God, uh, my first puzzle piece is Mother. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, which is, I think, maybe too new to have really, uh, you um, know, had... No, it, it, I think so. Yeah, I, I, I think it definitely makes sense. It definitely fits. Yeah, um, yeah and obviously one of my favorite movies of recent time, uh, you know, it deals with humanity basically destroying the planet um, oh yeah spoiler alert for or, <laughs> or maybe that'll help for people who just didn't understand that movie and hated it yeah you know, mother but... is christianity the yeah. story of christianity and then yeah. how basically we're distracted by it and destroying our planet because yes. of it in a nutshell absolutely yeah, yeah. and uh so I, I i love that movie and i i love that first reformed is another movie in that spirit of of religion and humanity's place on this planet and what mm -hmm. we're doing to it and you know how how that uh kind of we're 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 a problem <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah you know the thing is you know just to quickly touch on mother it's it's funny that and i this is not set up i just i mean this it was total uh, coincidence but i watched it last night yeah <laughs> and i'd watched it once i'd seen it in theaters and this was the second time i was viewing it and uh I was a little thrown by a couple things because there's like a, a one woman in the beginning we see. We don't know who she is. Then there's the Jennifer Lawrence version of the character. And then there's a third woman at the end, which mm -hmm. is kind of on a cliffhanger of like, oh, it's going to happen again. Sure. And what made me real, what I kind of clicked in this time is that, you know, once we're gone, you know, the earth's going to be fine. Sure. The earth is going to just roll us off her back and be in a hundred thousand years. We'll be like, we're not even here. We were never even here. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, the film is a very humanist take on religion. It's a comment on religion, but really what we're doing to our planet and and why we're not paying attention to our planet because we're distracted by all this other stuff. Yeah. And the, the planet will be okay without us. It's hoping we're, we're a virus that it's trying to shake. Yeah, right yeah. And, and it will. And it will. <laughs> it, it, it will. It's, it's coming. Yeah. yeah. And then there'll be a whole other virus for it to take care of. Yeah, of but course. But it's going yeah. to keep repeating. <laughs> yep, exactly. So that was that, that kind of sunk in on that aspect of Mother for me for last sure. night, you know. 
So what would your uh, next puzzle piece for first reform? Okay, so another big, uh, and this is kind of an, uh, a little bit of like a part two to my first puzzle piece, just to get these out of the way. Mm -hmm. But it's an Andrei Tarkovsky film called The Sacrifice. And it, again, deals with the Earth being threatened by nuclear war, actually. And it was actually shot on uh, the island called Faro, which is where Ingmar Bergman made his home, hmm. and also filmed many of his classic films. And it actually uses many of Ingmar Bergman's actors. So this was kind of Tarkovsky, the, uh, a giant in his own right, uh, making uh, kind of a Bergman film. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really fascinating movie. It's three hours long. It's super bleak. So if you have to, if you if you're interested, as uh, but it's a masterpiece. It's a great movie. But anyway, so um, but not only are the the stories similar, but uh, Tarkovsky in general was a very poetic filmmaker. Uh, his films feel like a prayer. They feel spiritual in a sense. They're um, meditative, and so I I think. Not only is the story influenced, but just the presence, the the vibe and feeling of First Reformed um, comes from Tarkovsky. And there's actually a part where, if you guys have seen the film, where they they kind of levitate. The two characters are sitting together and they levitate. And um, this was in part inspired by a, a, another puzzle piece I'll mention soon. But also, Paul Schrader actually asked himself, what would my characters do at this moment? And then he kept saying, what would Tarkovsky do? What would Tarkovsky do? <laughs> and he'd say, they'd levitate. They nice. levitate. So he um, he actually was like directly and in, in mindfully influenced by a Tarkovsky-esque feeling and choice and, and then made, and chose to do that. So the sacrifice in particular because of, of its relation to winter light and the Bergman stuff, but then also just the feeling and atmosphere and the meditative somber quality of his film also comes directly from the Tarkovsky, Tarkovsky school. Hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, that's a that's a great scene too, because um, it, it kind of throws off expectations at that point. Oh, where yeah. You don't quite know anymore what's possible. You know. Yeah, exactly. We yeah. don't know what what we thought we understood what this world, what the rules of this world were. Yeah. What's interesting about film is that you can get away with anything as long as you establish it. You can go to the you know down the down the rabbit hole. Yeah. But um, with this film, we thought, oh, this is a hyper realistic modern film that's dealing with modern issues, and we kind of all knew the rules we were playing by, and then suddenly they just you know fracture that completely and take us into a, a whole other potential, whole other world that this yeah. film could could be exist in. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, fascinating part. So uh, my next puzzle piece, um, so obviously, I mean, we haven't gotten to our wrap-ups, but I love this movie, mm -hmm. and I especially I love Ethan Hawke's performance. We talked about a little bit earlier about how great it was. Um, unfortunately, I think it'll probably be overlooked oh, because yeah. it's a small movie, <laughs> because it's come out early in the year. Mm -hmm. um, so my next puzzle piece is actually another overlooked monster performance, in my uh, opinion, which is... Uh, Michael Shannon and Take Shelter. Oh, yeah. so good! Such a good movie. Yeah, I love that movie. Um, my girlfriend Gina, she uh, she like basically hates award shows because that movie was overlooked. Yeah, I hate um, award shows for a lot of reasons. Yeah, but that's definitely one of them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, uh, you know, an, another movie about a character who is, um, you know, just being torn apart by what he knows and nobody you know mm -hmm. nobody wants to hear nobody is going to pay attention to yeah wow and uh and just a just amazing performance yeah I mean, I'd, I'd watch michael shannon read the newspaper yeah i mean just like <laughs> he is excellent and no but it's funny that it's this is a really informative show because i'm actually seeing the parallel between take shelter and uh first performed so that's really cool that you said that because it all nice. kind of clicked into place the character is very similar the the the, the cross they're bearing to use yeah. a bad religious pun um <laughs> is is similar so yeah no no i mean that's and and even the atmosphere is kind of similar yeah. kind of a, a, a small town eerie 
dreamy type quality. So yeah, no, that's a huge one. That's really yeah. cool. And I, I love that film. Anything's possible as seen by the ending of Take Shelter and like, yeah, I, it's just a great movie. And uh, it definitely reminded me, like you said, the atmosphere definitely. Um, I, I, and I, I would, I would imagine that's a, a movie that uh, was possibly also influenced by Taxi Driver. You yeah, know, to, yeah. To, to a degree. Um, yeah, the man in isolation has now become kind of a major American film theme. Yeah. You know what I mean? Scorsese's revisited it in some ways. I mean, even Raging Bull. Yeah. The man alone with his pride and his arrogance and his talent. You know, these are, you know, I'm so happy to see that uh, that women are getting better roles and films are coming out by film, female filmmakers because You Were Never Really Here is actually a female filmmaker. Right. Yeah, and yeah. she actually has a long, interesting career. We need to talk about Kevin she made. Which she made a great film called Rat Catcher, uh, which is an excellent film. So she's coming in, you know, and really has a strong voice. But the, I think we'll start eventually seeing this theme transition right. into the female voice. We're going to see a woman alone in a room. You know, we're going to see the because this theme, I think, transcends gender and transcends sure. time. Uh, but right now, what we have in terms of lineage, you know, history is this man locked in a room, man alone in a room. Women know? can get pushed just like men. Yeah, they can, but more so. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean, more so. We, you know, it's like you could look at Travis Bickle and be like, you're a white man. Shut up. You're yeah, fine. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you're shut trying, up. You've already had your time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, but, you know, I think the, the man alone in a room theme will, will continue to be done and looked at. And, and Paul Schrader will probably do it 100 times more before he dies. Sure. You know, it's okay. Every movie he makes is essentially that. <laughs> Um, but I'm excited to see women in alone in a room and I want to see uh, how people reinvent this theme. And it really has become the kind of this, not to, I mean, again, not to get off too far off topic because we've already been babbling a bit, but uh, it comes down to the searchers. I mean, we, I don't know if I mentioned maybe the last time I was on, I think we might've talked about the searchers, but uh, it's called the most influential American film. And it's about a man in the desert looking for a girl who doesn't want to be found. Mm. And if you take that, I mean, if you look at trans uh, taxi driver, it's the searchers. Yeah. And if you look at uh, the Vim Vendor's masterpiece, Paris, Texas, written by Sam Shepard, it's the searchers. Yeah. So uh, this really, I think it stems all the way back from that, that, that film, the searchers mm. is uh, that it's like the template that we all now tell that story. That's awesome. Yeah. So uh, what would your uh, next puzzle piece be? Uh, so it kind of goes into going off what you said about how changing expectations. There's a Carl Theodor Dreyer film uh, called Ordet, and it's an excellent film. A lot of Carl Theodor Dreyer people out there are probably cheering because not everyone likes or knows about his movies. But he was a Danish filmmaker. Uh, he's most famous for The Passion of Joan of Arc. And I've actually, would, I'd also kind of half say that my puzzle piece is just the work of Dreyer in general. Because again, this was a huge influence on, on Paul. And he actually wrote a book about him when he was a reviewer uh, and you know, so wrote about Dreyer. Right. So Passion of Joan of Arc, in terms of its visuals, a lot of like steady camera movements and the, or steady camera shots, then with interesting dolly moves, that was a big influence on First Reformed, but also Ordet in particular, because it's kind of a somber, simple, starkly realistic film. And then in the final moments of, a, of the film, a miracle literally happens and it changes everything. Like it's one, considered one of the most sublime finales in film history because it, it completely goes against everything we thought we knew about the film and something miraculous literally happens. You know, a movie about somber religious people uh, and then their faith is kind of fulfilled and it totally changes the film. Mm. And uh, it's gone on to influence people endlessly. And I feel like the ending of First Reformed is direct uh, or debt. I mean, just no, no two ways about it. Um, and uh, but beautifully unique at the same time. 
Yeah, I actually saw Ordette uh, mentioned in some reviews uh, oh, that wow, I read cool. of this movie. So I, I, I think, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and yeah, so it, and the fact that he wrote that book, mm-hmm. um, which I mean, that clearly must weigh heavy on him, uh, on uh, Paul Schrader, uh, to, to love that filmmaker and mm-hmm. his work. Yeah, I mean, it's just like, I think, again, last time I was here, I think I mentioned how I think I'm always making The Shining. You know right. what I'm saying? <laughs> right. you, you know, you kind of find yourself almost obsessed with things. And you, because you obsess over them, you not only think you know what the filmmaker intended, but you also see all these, you know, alternatives that that mean something more to you. And so I think he was exploring that and in a way referencing it in a sense of tradition mm-hmm. and, and love. He was saying, I love this film. I love this filmmaker and it influenced me. But at the same time, I think there's those moments are so profound and and uh, energizing that you see opportunities yourself to say something unique. You, know, you, you want to be a part of that energy. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, or has a big one. All the work of theater, uh, Dreyer, but but definitely that film in particular. Awesome. Um, so my next one, I, I that's actually like the last of my straight up movie, regular movie ones. Um, this next one is more one that I think um, maybe just not influenced the movie specifically, but influenced uh, Paul Schrader's mind possibly a little bit, which is actually an inconvenient truth and, yeah. <laughs> and other documentaries on uh, on the subject of climate change and, and the environment and the fact that we're getting past the point of no return. And so that I think, um, you know, affects a writer when it comes to what is actually happening with the world and then writing characters that are uh, reacting to that. Yeah, I mean, this, I mean, may, we, I feel so lucky and privileged to be an artist because I can yell and complain, mm-hmm. um, you know, to group people and they'll just they'll listen to it some way, somehow. Yeah. But uh, I mean, the thing is, is when it comes to climate change, I mean, this is something that, that there's scientific consensus. Yeah. And yet there's, it's, there are people who just outright don't believe it. And there's right. like people that just outright won't accept it because of some kind of politically motivated ideology that they may or may not even be consciously aware that they're a part of. And you feel like screaming. And yeah. You feel like, like our planet's dying and we can do something. And it's almost to the point of no return. And even if it's not as dramatic as they say, it's pretty dramatic. Who knows? I don't you know. The thing is, I'm going to listen to them. I'm going to yeah. listen to scientists because I am not a climate scientist. Right. So there's a lot of frustration. There was a lot of helplessness. Yeah. It's another reason why I think that it's, global warming fits so well or climate change fits so well with First Reformed is the character is helpless. Mm-hmm. And we as an audience are helpless in the face of climate change because no one really cares. Yeah, that's I was going to say you just said feels like screaming. And like that's, I think, the perfect uh, words for what the character is feeling, what the audience is feeling, because you know that he's right, you yeah. know, and just nobody is going to do anything. Right. They're just going to keep, you know, making the world worse, unfortunately. And of course, unfortunately, uh, you know, for the people listening, you know, there's a certain segment that is going to just roll their eyes at this part of the conversation. Yeah. And that makes me feel like screaming, quite frankly. Yeah, know? I mean, it's like 10% of any uh group of people at the comedy show is going to hate the jokes on stage. I mean, yeah. there's just no way or you can't please everybody. So you shouldn't try to. Right. Exactly. You know, you if just... you, if you know, something is the truth, just say it. Yeah. You know? It's funny not to get again, too artsy fartsy, but this is kind of the thing that's been going over in my head. All of these films, all three of them, you were never really here first reformed and taxi driver. Another thing they kind of all share is that all the characters are victims of their nature. <clears throat> you know, they are, they're unable to change what and who they are. And you could look at nature even 
you know, their nature versus mother nature. And mm -hmm. that really this, there's a sense of, it's kind of sad to say you know, that you, maybe you guys aren't going to rush out and see him right away. If I say this, they're, they're kind of about hopelessness, right? You know, and it's a tough theme. You know, it's, you know, when we watched first performed, it's not like a movie you enjoy as much sure. as you experience. Yeah. You know, I enjoyed it from an academic level because I am a filmmaker. And so I really love what they were doing. I saw, I was like, wow, they're really saying something through cinema. Yeah. So I get to stand outside of it and enjoy it that way. But for the average audience member, it's a challenging watch. And yeah. all of these films are. And I think that there's definitely a relationship between the helplessness of these people breaking out of their nature versus and us breaking out of this cycle against our own you know, mother nature. So I definitely think there's a connection there. It's funny, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about it once we get to You Are Never Really Here, but even the fact that they don't show you the violence. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, right. You know, they're, they're just like, yeah, trying to enjoy it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. the, the average audience is going to be like, the fuck? You know? <laughs> right. Uh, so, so, yeah, no, in, yeah, interesting puzzle piece. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, what is uh, your next one? All right. So my next puzzle piece is um, a big one, actually. It should have been maybe even earlier on my list, but a movie called Diary of a Country Priest uh, by Bresson. <laughs> Bresson. Mm -hmm. uh, Robert Bresson. And um, this was another major influence on Paul Schaefer or... Um, uh, or Schrader. Schrader. I'm sorry, Schaefer. The, the guy from uh, Late Night with that David Letterman. That would be a Letterman. different movie. <laughs> yeah. That'd definitely a very different movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the piano player from David Letterman. Sorry, uh, Schrader, pardon me. Um, but a huge influence on him. Yeah. And uh, so there's even, I mean, there's, there's direct elements in like a person keeping a journal, uh, which is another kind of device that uh, that Paul uses a lot in his work that is a kind of a, a voiceover type portion, but a character dealing with thoughts, internal thoughts, uh, and writing them down. And uh, so, yeah, Diary of a, of a Country Priest is, a, I think, a major influence on the subject matter, the atmosphere, and then actually uses device, you know, a creative device within that film he was able to borrow and put into this film. Sure. So we get unique insight into um, into uh, Ethan Hawke's brain because he's literally writing it all down for us. Yeah. And, and also, uh, to that point, um, uh, excellent use of voiceover because voiceover can be very hit or miss and yeah. really well done in this movie. And, and the journal as a framing device really, I think, helps for that. Um, it's funny. I was trying to think of another puzzle piece. I, I couldn't quite think of a good one, but like another movie uh, where someone is writing in the journal as it's being, you know, read aloud, mm -hmm. you know, over voiceover. I couldn't quite think of one, but I, I just think that there are other great examples of that in cinema. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure I'll think about it after, you know, recording the podcast. Yeah. But yeah. There's a lot of bad ones too. It's interesting yeah. about, you know, it's funny. You're right. Voiceover is super tricky because you look at a movie like Goodfellas and it's like, it could not exist without Ray Liotta coming over the, you know, the film. Sure. But then you also watch like, uh, what is it? The Jersey Boys by Clint Eastwood. And it's like a bad, it's like <laughs> oh, the God. worst thing I've ever heard. Like three seconds into that movie and I was like, fuck this movie. Uh, so horrible horrible yeah. you know so now i'm and it's funny too because you can use like an omniscient narrator you know like a third person narrator and those are really out of date now they're kind of like antiquated but if you do it right it really is a whole other type of movie it's really fascinating oh another another um uh thing i just remembered this i meant to write it down i forgot to um uh i love how uh, in his voiceover, which he is uh, writing in his journal, he's basically lying to himself, which is kind of the, uh, what, what's the word? Unreliable narrator. Uh, unreliable narrator, yes. It's like he's being an unreliable narrator, but it's part of to the story. To himself, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah it shows the sense of delusion. Yeah. Which he's going deeper and deeper into delusion. Yeah. Because that's the thing is, you know, 
here's what's interesting about this film too not to again not to stray too much but we have this first main character the the, the michael the husband character that basically plants this idea in ethan Hawke's priest character yeah. to uh you know to go off and commit some kind of violent by the crime. way real quick great yeah. scene there's that oh whole that back, back and forth between them oh my god excellent so excellent yeah. so we have um this main character, this character Michael, who's the husband of the other female character, who has all these bad ideas, who wants to possibly blow up or some, you know, a group of people or hurt somebody as, as a way to further his cause. Yeah. Uh, and this inspires um, the Ethan Hawke character. But if you remember, when Michael kills himself, Ethan Hawke tells the wife character, hey, tells Mary, hey, uh, hide the laptop and hide everything. Don't tell anybody because you know he had a good point. Yeah. So we don't want to ruin. We don't want to sully the point. Yeah. By saying, "Oh well, look what he was going to do," and in a way that leaves us as an audience to be like, "Well, what can? What will we tolerate? Like, just because the idea is good does not right. mean you should execute it in such a horrific way." Yeah. I mean, I agree with global warming. I mean, I I agree that climate change is is devastating and will ben- eventually eradicate the human race, mm-hmm. and we should do everything we can to stop it. But yeah. I'm not gonna kill anybody. Right. Like, Short I, of <laughs> blowing up things. Yeah. And that's it. You know, it's funny. That's the unique aspect of cinema where we really have the suspension of disbelief. We will, you know, we cheer for bad people all the time. That's yeah. how we watch Breaking Bad for four years or five years, and we just cheered him on, and he's sure. a monster, he's disgusting. And we were like, yeah, go, Walt. It's because we just automatically separate ourselves from our own moral code because in this, for the sake of entertainment. Yeah. And movies like First Performed, I think, challenge that notion. Yeah. They use cinema and how, knowing that we will automatically click off our actual moral code to just kind of follow this character down any rabbit hole he chooses to go down yeah. and uh and we're forced to go oh, wait is this a good idea is this really something we agree with like and i don't think i think the i think taxi driver is almost too persuasive in that regard that it's like making us kind of like travis bickle maybe right. that's my young my you know my memories of a young viewer but with this film i don't think we're really like really behind the ethan hot character right we're just yeah. watching in horror yeah but we're not like behind him we're not like yeah kill cedric the entertainer right. i mean i don't think we're ever <laughs> Cedric uh, Kyle's, you mean? Oh, sorry, I'm pardon me. I'm sorry. Uh, is that is this the first film he wasn't the entertainer? Yeah. Holy I, I, shit! As far as I know, I've never seen him. Uh, I've never Holy seen him shit! Cedric Kyle's before. Oh my god, that's brilliant! I didn't know that. Anyway, so no, not, never at any point throughout the film did I lean over to my girlfriend and was like, yeah, I think he should really kill Cedric right. the Entertainer because he's a piece of shit. Yeah. You know, and um, that's interesting too. They don't, you know, they didn't. Uh, they didn't persuade us too much. We were just like, well, almost like watching the news. You're right, right. It was just so factual. Yeah. So <laughs> I lost where I was going. I don't know, but Cedric Kyle's is all out. Yeah, right. I, just, I just blacked out. Yeah. I just remember Cedric Kyle's. That put that puts a stop right there on that point. <laughs> was, whose but... turn was it? Uh, well, that one was you. Sorry. You, you were Sorry. talking <laughs> Diary of a Country Priest, and then we ended up on narrators and all that. All right. So. Well, then yeah. Diary of a Country Priest. Okay. Uh. I actually am out of puzzle pieces on this one. I think you said you still... I have a one more. You got one more? Yeah, okay. I'll wrap it up. So here's two in a row. So the last one, and this is kind of a small one. That's why I saved it for last. Okay. is a movie called Wise Blood. And okay. Wise Blood is adapted from um, the um, uh, Flannery O'Connor novel. Pardon me. Her mind, her name slipped my mind for a moment. But Flannery O'Connor, um, O'Connor pardon me, was an excellent... Um, writer and she wrote a book called wise blood and it's made into a very bizarre little movie uh with brad dorif uh by john houston so it was kind of a sleeper movie of john houston's you know not many people know about it and it's about a guy who goes and becomes a street preacher and he starts the church of jesus christ without jesus christ 
and it's kind of this strange humanist film in a way and but how it all connects is eventually uh, he mutilates himself with Mm -hmm. barbed wire okay uh similar to the ending of first performed where instead of blowing up cedric the entertainer and his uh, his constituency he uh wraps himself in barbed wire and there's just a striking visual similarity and almost like a a a his penance you know his his uh self uh torture uh almost christ-like in a way so it's interesting that uh uh christians go that direction <laughs> christians really like to harm themselves and others really. I mean, they're not my favorite people yeah i, I don't i don't know uh the, you're gonna get a bad review on this podcast i don't know we should have... yeah erase That's that part one star review who's our editor Edit the... <laughs> i'll probably leave it um... <laughs> That's just blame me it's yeah. fine I'm a... so uh yeah i think with with all those puzzle pieces um you know, we can move on to You Were Never Really Here. Okay. Um, and I guess I'll go first on this one. Uh, but yeah, you know, obviously after Taxi Driver, um, the next thing I had here was A History of Violence, mm. um, which is another movie um, where using violence to tell a totally different story that's not really about the violence. It's not right. a John Wick you know, right, I think they sure. kind of marketed it like it's a Joaquin Phoenix's John Wick. Sure, you know? of course. But this is more about the effects of violence mm-hmm. on on a human being, on humanity itself, mm-hmm. and uh, that's why immediately my mind went to that. Um, and also a great movie, I thought. Yeah, and that's the David Cronenberg yeah. film with uh, Hidalgo. What's yeah. his name? Uh, <laughs> very... <laughs> Viggo Mortensen. Viggo Mortensen. Thank yeah. you. Um, and uh, no, the thing is, yeah, I'm a big David Cronenberg fan. And that was a really, you know, he did Eastern Promises with Vigo. And he, yeah. so those that was like a really weird period of his career. Yeah. Where he made a lot more mainstream movies and, you know, but they were really good. Like, I think History of Violence was an excellent film. Sure. And, and no, I can definitely see there being a connection there. And it's interesting you say a film about violence that isn't about the violence. And that's a major distinction, I think, yeah. because I'm not one... So I tend to get all on my high horse when I'm t- thinking about my own personal filmmaking, about what kind of content I want to put into the world. Yeah. But I do not believe in censorship. I don't want to not make films about violence. There's nothing on the canvas of existence that I don't think we can make movies about. Sure. So so that you have to be very – so you, then it's just not – it's not a matter of what you make. It's how you make it. Yeah. And I mean, so well, a, a, a quote that really stuck in my brain and has kind of followed me through my career is a Roman Polanski quote, which, you know, not the best guy in the world, but <laughs> sure. you have to look at the totality of people and their, you know, and their career. Like he's kind of a piece of shit. We're fans of the history of cinema. That's right. It's it kind of what it comes down to, not advocating <laughs> that he's a rotten bastard. He's a piece of shit. But anyway, but his quote is good. Mm. <laughs> and his quote is, uh, if you're going to make a violent film, then you need to depict it realistically. Otherwise, it is insulting to the victims of violence. Sure. Uh, and again, that's like, you know, not every quote can you take as, as, as scripture. You know, there's there's wiggle room right. for everything. You know what I mean? There's no, I don't take anything like to, to, the, to the grave. But it's a good thing to remember that if you're going to really make a film about violence, it either has to really be about the effects of violence or what, what violence is, yeah. or you have to make, you have to use violence in the sense that, yeah, that it's real and it's in the real world, but you have to use it to say something else. Yeah. And when I think about You Were Never Really Here, I think it masterfully used violence to say something else. Exactly. It's very violent. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's still very violent, but for the most part, cuts away from the violence. For the most part, you're you're not seeing what's happening. You're you're just seeing the after effects of it. Right. And it's dangerously close to being 
a revenge film. Right, right. And revenge films are kind of the lowest type of film to me. They're <laughs> really? really dumb. Well, yeah, because the, not, I mean, not because they're not good. Like Kill Bill's good. Sure. But it's, I enjoy watching it. You know, it's fun. It's it's Looney Tunes. Right. But the problem it is, doesn't is that, mean something. It doesn't. It doesn't have a greater. Uh... It it just it, it's hard to put into words without sounding like a dickhead. But the point <laughs> is, I it just it just feeds into our our lowest base emotions mm. okay it just strokes a part of the human race that we should leave unstroked <laughs> you know we should you know we should try to be more forgiving creatures yeah. and we tend to really value the cowboy revenge story of our history you know i mean i think we're a bunch of fucking cowboys walking around in this yeah. goddamn country and we think it's good to be isolated to be alone to be the lone wolf the lone ranger you know we we like that shit and yeah. so there's just something on a personal level that irks me when films are about revenge because yeah. this is the lowest thing it could be about yeah be about fucking anything else <laughs> than just revenge although again people do stupid they kill their girlfriend with a hammer on a sunday night for revenge right so yeah. i mean it is again it's something don't censor yourself just be smart and make it a thoughtful movie sure absolutely that's it uh what would your uh next so the puzzle piece, piece so this is kind of a fun one psycho Okay. So Psycho makes an appearance in the film. Yeah. He actually, they, you know, the mom watches Psycho a lot. Absolutely. And so uh, it, it's kind of hard to put into words. It's just kind of a fun little tidbit. The film itself references it and the relationship with the mother. But also I feel like it's there's just kind of a strange atmosphere that is semi-Hitchcockian. Sure. And I think that Psycho is probably the closest... Um, I feel like the movie really tells its story very visually. Mm. Uh, there's not like a lot of crucial dialogue. Right. Um that you know, that couldn't be replaced with something else. You know, there's not like a lot of long speeches or anything. Right. And um, and Hitchcock made his films predominantly visual. A lot of dialogue often could be replaced or exchanged or omitted completely, and you can still be able to follow it, and understand the motives of the characters. And so I think, in an abstract way, uh, the the film director took her cues from Hitchcock in some ways just in her style and her approach to filmmaking. And then I think she also did a little nod to Psycho in particular. Sure. Yeah, the, the, the relationship with the mom is really uh, really a sweet, fun thing. Side you know? of it, yeah. Very strange and very uh, very, very well done and everything. Yeah, it's like unique. It. The whole movie's kind of weird. Yeah, it's very strange. You know, you just don't, you know, even with the, the hitman that ends up killing the mom, uh, he like holds oh, his hand. Yeah. And, yeah well, you know, I love that scene. Yeah, that was I thought great. it was an excellent scene because... There's something strangely uh, humanist about the Joaquin Phoenix character, even though he's a murderer. Yeah, he like almost cherishes life. It's weird. Yeah, there's yeah. a there. I mean, it's it's really worth seeing and thinking for yourself about. Oh, absolutely. It. Yeah, like I was saying at the beginning of the episode, uh, it, it's definitely a movie that has to grow on you because um, it, it's it's not immediately apparent what is being said with it, but mm -hmm. it definitely. I think if you think about it for a little while it's going to uh it, it's it's going to end up coming out in your in your mind as you're thinking about what you actually just saw happen what why why did they make these choices that they make and how how they're showing the character in in his suicidal thoughts in right. uh in the violence and lack of violence you know yeah it's in you know it's funny um one of the most impressive things about the film is not really how much it does, but how little it does. Right, right. You know, the thing is, is that I, I've read reviews about it or like IMDb comments, which you should never read no, because never they're that. the dumbest people on the planet. <laughs> um, 
But there, yeah, there's no story, people say. Right, there's no right. plot. It just kind of wanders around. And there really is a plot. There really is a story there. Sure. And if you look at, like, another kind of ingenious connection to Taxi Driver is that it used that premise almost as a shorthand. Mm-hmm. It was like, here's a setup you know. Yeah. And then we're going to go off and make a movie more about feelings, more yeah. about people, more about thoughts and fantasies and dreams. And, you know, we're going to make a film about those abstracts. So here's something you get. Yeah. And you can just follow it along. So, yeah, the film doesn't, you know, it doesn't throw a lot of stuff at you. It's kind of simple, yeah. but very profound. By the way, back to that puzzle piece being Psycho. Um, this is the second week in a row that we've had a movie that Psycho came up. The last oh. one being uh, Tommy Wiseau's Best Friends Volume 2. <laughs> was there a Volume 1? Oh, yeah, there was a Volume 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. That is a good question, though, when it comes to Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he could easily make a Volume 2 with yeah. there being no one. Anything's possible. <laughs> so uh, my, my next puzzle piece for this movie is actually The Wrestler. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, uh, just this, this guy who's kind of just just a broken man who doesn't he does something very well but doesn't actually enjoy doing it and he's you know very uh uh i don't want to say conflicted but i mean he he basically is just existing in this life that he's kind of fallen into Mm -hmm. um and doesn't really enjoy it Mm -hmm. you know and that's kind of the main connection i i saw to a movie like The Wrestler. Yeah, I mean, but I can even see visual cues. Oh, sure, yeah, you know also I, mean? I think Aronofsky is probably a big influence on this filmmaker. Yeah. You know, because Aronofsky, man, that guy, he had some balls. Yeah. And the thing is, I love about him is that I don't even like all of his movies, mm. but I love them. Like, I, I love him. <laughs> right. Like, when I don't, even yeah. when I, I, he makes a movie I don't particularly think is, like, genius, I don't yeah. walk out of there going, oh, I loved it. I still love it because yeah. it just had balls. That's like, exactly it just was, how I felt about uh, Noah. I, I was like, I love Noah. Yeah, I don't. I didn't love it, but I loved it. <laughs> no, you know? I loved it both ways. You did. I yeah, I've been Noah... wanting to watch it again. Actually, I only saw it the one time in the theater. I've been wanting to watch Noah it again. Noah blew my fucking mind. <laughs> it blew my mind. I thought it was. I was like, there are rock god monsters walking around, and Anthony Hopkins is Methuselah, and then it turns into The Shining on a boat. It's like the best movie I've ever seen. It's like all of my favorite movies stitched. together together like frankenstein yeah it's no it's ridiculous yeah it and is. every second of it's crazy yeah and i love it and that's what it needs to be yeah I mean, that's exactly what it needs to be yeah. the story of noah and yeah i mean that's that's why i loved it oh, but yeah. i just i need to see it again watch it again it's yeah. so good it's yeah. like ridiculous it's like lord of the rings <laughs> smashed into like you know the shining yeah it's total <laughs> insanity and then he made even i didn't think he could get more insane and then he made mother right right and i was like i'm gonna just suck all this in this is the best <laughs> craziest when Kristen wigs popping people i haven't figured out who's got who god's agent is that's the only like symbolic i was right. like who's like okay i got adam and eve i got Cain and abel i get everybody where's god's agent come in right it yeah. also starts killing people and is played with a Kristen wig so i don't know yeah we gotta we gotta get to the bottom of that sometime <laughs> soon <laughs> i was like going through the bible like where's this character what's god's representation maybe it's just Kristen wig maybe it's just her playing herself yeah, it's yeah. just playing herself yeah it's possible it's like it's the god's consigliere or whatever <laughs> Uh, again, we get off on tangents. I'm sorry. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, what would your next puzzle piece? Right, so I got one last puzzle piece. Okay. I know the listeners are probably relieved. Um, po- today's pol- political world. This is my only non 
puzzle sure. piece movie. Both films, all three films, and then you were never really here in particular, is I think an indictment of our wars around the world um, and, and the political climate where we, I think we're, we're trying to sell these wars. And in, and in a way, we're not anymore. Like, mm-hmm. they, we're not really trying to sell them anymore. Like, they're just happening. They're just these perpetual, never-ending wars and it doesn't really matter because we're so split on every issue back home that we really can't be behind any. Yeah, that's the. I heard it's a very sad and true and interesting thing. The reason why the NRA is so successful is because they believe in one thing, and they're a no party. They're a party of no. All you have to do is go no. You know, we right. want gun regulation. Nope, don't yeah. want it. And then everyone in the party goes nope. Or in, in the group, in the club, wherever the fuck We talked is. about that on our other podcast, Bird Road, about we, we called it trumping things. It's <laughs> like, just, you just well don't, e- don't even give it a, a second of your thought. You just, nope. nope. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> but here's on the opposite side of that coin. Yeah. Now, take us liberals or myself. I don't, I don't want to speak for you. Sure. But I'm a crazy, dirty liberal. Yeah. Now, the thing is, is that none of my fellow liberals can get on the same page. We believe in everything. We want to save the earth. We want to let people have clean, healthy, legal abortions. We want to legalize whatever, blah, 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 blah. So we're we're all for a million things. Yeah. And so we're just spread too thin. Yeah. And you know, so many of us aren't truly educated on the topics because again, we're spread so thin. We we believe in this, we believe in that, and you know, that's and I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. It's just the reality of it mm-hmm. is we'll never be as effective as a party of no, sure, because you can just say no, and that's it. It's all you got to do. Yeah. And so uh, it's a very challenging thing. So when I think about you were never really here and its connection to Taxi Driver and even First Performer, they're all veterans. Yeah. And they're all shell shocked. Yeah. They all suffer from PTSD or some form of it. And so our political world was a major influence on uh, that film and what what makes the character who they are. Absolutely. And also it makes uh, the writer-director, well, at least in Paul Schrader's case, who he is, uh, his, his uh, point of view on the world is absolutely very politically minded. He's sure, somebody sure. who obviously must sit around and stew quite a bit mm-hmm. about uh, mm-hmm. about what's going on in the world. You know? Yeah. And uh, I don't I don't know much about um, what's your name uh, Lynn or uh, is it Ramsey or uh, Ramsey? I think yeah. it's Ramsey. Yeah, I, I don't know much about her personally, but I could imagine that she probably comes from a fairly similar place. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. It's these people, uh, I think, are very uh, active in our in, in the world. I mean, mm-hmm. you, and that's the thing is, as a filmmaker, I think I believe, and in, in my case, you have to be a sponge. Yeah, you, know, you have to you have to kind of soak in a lot because you you should make. Uh, socially aware material, if possible, if you can. Yeah. And you look at movies like her previous film. We need to talk about Kevin, and that's a very disturbing film. Sure. It's a very that, that would that would actually be like a puzzle piece. It's like a little semi puzzle piece. Is we need to talk about Kevin because you can see the the connection between the bridge between that film and then you were never really here. Right. Is that again about isolation, about a troubled soul, about you know um, a person who closes them off and and closes themselves off and then only has their own ideas. You know, to to motivate them. When you when you're only governed by your own ideas with no external forces, no wonder you are arrogant enough to do something horrific. Because right. I think it takes great arrogance to think I'm going to kill myself and others, right, or right. others for this cause. I don't think it. I don't think there is a genuine element to it. I think it's just like you need some kind of gratification you can't receive anywhere else. I'm okay barking my political opinions on a podcast and not harming anybody except sure. their eardrums. But, you know, <laughs> but these people, I feel like they, they feel entitled to do something that dramatic. And that sounds maybe that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it. And that's maybe too harsh. There's more to it. But I definitely think there's an element of, of selfishness in that mentality. 
And all those, all these characters we've been talking about, they're all very in their own world, all locked in. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, I have, uh, what do I got here? I think I, yeah, I just have two more. Um, and I'm going to actually combine them because really both of these are just very surface level, um, elements, uh, that I, I believe, uh, influence this film and not the full movies themselves, just, just little elements. Um, and that would be drive and the professional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Refn. Well, oh yeah, yeah, that was like how I was. I was thinking about making that a puzzle piece. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Because image and the look of the film and stuff like that, I think, is what I get out of Drive specifically. Agreed. Yeah. Um, and then with the professional, you know, with with a hitman and a sure, girl, and, right. You know, yeah. So yeah. Uh, so those are very surface level things, but I think they definitely could have very well had a big influence on the for movie. sure yeah and it makes sense because Refn is only superficial yeah <laughs> that guy fucking hate that guy yeah i like his yeah. movie I like, his, I like some of his movies but god that guy is awful very superficial he is um, horrible like as a human being as or? just a human i don't know him. I, don't, I don't know much about him just a shit stain for a soul <laughs> just a piece of shit okay yeah and he was a very talented guy yeah which breaks my heart even more i hate when super <laughs> talented people are just awful but if you ever listen to him speak, just listen to him talk. Yeah, I haven't. You'll hate him immediately. Oh I guarantee God. it. And Drive's great. Only God Forgives is not great. People tell me all the time why it's great. I'm like, you're crazy. I heard it was terrible and I never got a chance to watch it. <laughs> well, yeah, here's the thing. Film people, in my experience, like him because he's very he is very talented. He paints with light. His, sure. He's, you know, his compositions are painterly. He makes exciting, interesting visuals. You know, But they're just the most hollow. He's like the Tarantino of like the art crowd. Right, right. You know right. what I mean? He's like, pow, pow, pow. You yeah. know, and he's just <laughs> awful. I, I hate him. I hate him so much. I'll watch his movies, but I hate him. Yeah. So there you go. Okay, there you go. I hope he's listening. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I hope I get a fucking letter. Well, if he wants to come on the show and uh, just have a long conversation with you, yeah. just to make you squirm, we can he make that happen. He tells family. He was I forget. I forget the director he was talking to. You should go to YouTube and type in Refin mm -hmm. and interview or whatever. He, I think he's talking to. I think it's the director of of, um, of uh, the Exorcist, and he's talking. And they're and these guys like, what do you think about Citizen Kane? He's like, well, not as good as Drive, like <laughs> shit like that. And it's part. I mean, he could be kidding. I don't think he's kidding though. Oh man. He is dog shit. Anyway, sorry. Oh man. So yeah, that um, I think that brings us to the end here. I'm gonna do the finished puzzle list. Um, and this of course is for both First Reformed and You Were Never Really Here. Uh, just one big long list. Um, and a lot of these movies are actually in themselves uh, influenced by or influence of Taxi Driver. But uh, starting with Taxi Driver, and then A Winter Light, Mother. The Sacrifice, Take Shelter, or Debt, An Inconvenient Truth, Diary of a Country Priest, Wise Blood, A History of Violence, Psycho, The Wrestler, Today's Political World, Drive, and The Professional. Yeah. So, I mean, that's it, uh, a really cool list of movies and, of course, the world itself that, um, you know, politics, religion, you know, a lot of heavy topics and very heavy movies. This was, yeah, this was a little darker of a conversation than our one for uh, Isle of Dogs, I sure, think. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just the last thing I'd like to say about it is that all of these films, uh, you know, Taxi Driver, First Reformed, and uh, You Were Never Really Here, uh, First Reformed and Taxi Driver in particular are very um, contemplative. Mm -hmm. They are meditative. 
somber films that take thought and consideration. They're beautiful. Uh, the way that they're shot, you know, I mean, First Reformed is a gorgeous film. Oh, yeah, and in that fourth, what is it, four three? Is four it? by three, yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing, the use of that. It's kind of strange that yeah, I saw that. Couldn't, that was the second uh, A24 film I saw, The Ghost Story. Ghost, Ghost Story, Story, which I loved, too. It was also a four by three. Um, yeah, but that that look, like that opening shot, that really slow crawling yeah. on, the, uh, on the church, oh, yeah. my God, really cool. Yeah, it's, you know... Some uh, Roger Ebert once said that films can sometimes be elevated to prayer, mm-hmm. which is a profound thing to say. I think sure. I'm not someone who prays often, right. except for in my church that is the cinema. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, but see these films and let them, you know, take them at their own value. If you haven't already seen them, uh, take them as they are. You know what I mean? Let them be what they are. Don't bring anything to them. Uh, if you did maybe bring something to them, you were disappointed. See it again. Think yeah. about it. Let them seep in. Uh, and they, you know, look into those old masters of Tarkovsky, Bergman, Dreyer, Brasson. These guys were were true poets, and there's almost something spiritual about their films that I think uh, Paul Schrader was trying to funnel into this film. And it's and a first performed as a little mini masterpiece. Uh, and you were never really here was also something truly that uh, that best film of the year, something that will seep in and you'll think about it for a long time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, well, I think I think that wraps it up. I don't I don't think we need to make any uh, final uh, did you like it mention because we've clearly loved this movie. We, both movies, I mean, yeah, uh, we talked about it throughout. Um, so yeah, I just want to thank you for this great conversation. There are a lot of great movies we ended up talking about here. Um, you have anything uh, you want to plug with your uh, what you got working? No, on? just normal cinema Mondays. You guys yeah. want to come down? We show films that we're like we've been talking about. So I, we've shown Igmar Bergman, Dreyer, Tarkovsky, Bresson, uh, Martin Scorsese, Paul Schrader films. So we've shown um, uh, these kind of films at Cinema Mondays. If you don't know what that is, it's a free art house cinema every Monday night at the Sci Fi Center. Like I said, it's always free. It's at eight p.m. and we show films every Monday night. You come down. You don't have to be a movie buff. Uh, if you're intimidated by some of these titles, like I don't want to watch some Swedish movie. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> you might not watch it at your house. I agree with that. It might be a little too slow or boring. Okay. If you come down, you sit with a bunch of people that are all open-minded, you end up getting really sucked into these things. If you want to experience them and you think, oh, I don't have enough time, this is the perfect time. Come on down. It will really be a, a transcendent experience. You'll watch things you never thought you'd watch, and you'll get a lot out of it. So Cinema Mondays, Sci-Fi Center, 8 p.m., Monday nights, always free. Please come down and check stuff out. And I'm going to come down there soon. <laughs> I, I don't promise think so. you. No, it might not happen. <laughs> no, I, it's seriously going to happen. Uh, real quick, uh, this is going to go up after tonight, which today is a Monday that mm-hmm. we're recording. Uh, what, what do you have coming up? Uh, oh, so we're actually in the middle of celebrating an awesome summer-long theme. We're doing Shakespeare Summer, and we're showing complete wide range of movies that have all been inspired by Shakespeare's plays. We're doing films from Japan. We're doing films that are modern, 2015, all the way back to 1953. So we're doing films from all over. Tonight is is uh, Julius Caesar, uh, the 1953 version with Marlon Brando. Excellent film. But we're doing it for the next six Mondays after the tonight and uh, some really cool, amazing films. So awesome. yes, uh, Shakespeare all summer. Beautiful. Awesome. Thank you. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, 
that I think was a great conversation. Um, those were just two awesome movies, uh, two of the best performances of the year. And I'm really glad we got a chance to talk about both of them and putting them together was a cool little experiment, I, especially when something like that could work. You know, there's no rules with podcasts. So if, if something like that could work out, why not? Right. And I think it was a lot of fun combining them that way. So I just want to thank you all for listening and again, remind you to please be subscribed to the show. Um, this past month, I've been seeing that our downloads within the first week have been going up and up, which means that you are subscribing to the show. So thank you so much for that. Um, remember, we are on Apple Podcasts, we're on Pocket Casts, we're on oh everywhere. We're, we're, we're recently added to Stitcher and um, TuneIn Radio. We're also on Spotify, Google Play. We're pretty much everywhere at this point, and we keep getting added to more services. If there's one missing that you want us to add ourselves to, just let us know. We'll make sure to get on it. We want to make sure you can listen. We want to make sure you can subscribe. Please rate and review us as well. Send us some feedback. We want to know that you're liking the show. Make sure you join in on the conversation by joining our Facebook group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. And also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Uh, a couple other things I wanted to mention before we get going here. Um, this is, of course, on the All Points West Network. Make sure to listen to our other two shows, uh, Bird Road Podcast and Entre Dos. And also we will be at the podcast movement coming up in July. So uh, if you're from a podcast and you're going to be there, definitely get in touch. We'd love to meet up with you and uh, get to know some of you guys. Also, um, I want to let you guys know about a campaign I'm taking part in. It's called Two Pods a Day. It aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for the month of July. We hope to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Hashtag Two Pods a Day encourages you to listen more and listen indie. Find more shows like mine by following Hashtag Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Facebook. So you're going to be hearing more about that come July, but uh, I'm, I'm excited for that. Hopefully introduce the show to some new listeners and hopefully we'll find out about some cool new shows because I love listening to podcasts. Um, you know, it pretty much goes movies, dogs, pizza podcasts that's that's a good order it keeps a good company you know um but anyway i think that about does it for today so i hope you enjoyed this episode um hope you're subscribed leave us some feedback thanks for listening and i'll leave you with another piece of my music uh which by the way remember my new album a different kind of dream is out now on itunes and all other digital music stores so make sure you check it out and here's a piece of music um actually from my last album head like fire but i thought it would fit the theme a little better it's called angel
and all points west. 